Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. I want to start the sermon with a game. Uh, some, of you go, some of you love this game, some of you hate this game. Leslie, my wife, hates this game. I'll try and play it sometimes, and she just always cheats. The game is Would You Rather, uh, where you get uh, posed, like, would you rather this or this? And she just says, no, I'm not playing. Um, so uh, if that's how you want to play the game today, that's fine. I uh, just want to ask some questions out there and uh, just uh, have some fun with it. Would you rather be without elbows or without knees? Yeah, Linus. You either don't have elbow joints or you don't have knee joints. You get to pick which one you don't have. You get, you get hands. We won't linger there too long. Sorry. Would you rather be a dragon or have a dragon? Right. Would you rather never laugh again or never use your smartphone again? Smartphone, really? I dare you to try it for the day. Would you rather go through life unable to answer any questions or unable to ask any questions? Answer. Nope. Mm -mm. Would you rather be able, uh, never be able to speak again or always have to say everything on your mind? Some of us already do this. I'm not pointing at anybody in particular. Maybe just... <laughs> Would you rather lose half of your hair or half of your hearing? Right. I picked that one because it's just a jerk question for me. I don't get to pick. It's both. Yes, please. Would you rather live alone on a tropical island or live with others on Antarctica? Give me, give me a loan. All right. That's the setup question. Today we're going to talk about solitude and fellowship. Okay? Shalene's like, no, don't talk to me about solitude. Okay. So we just, spent, we just came out of a series, a six-week series that we call We the Church. That's talking about how God wired all of us, right, in the church to be a body. And each one of us unique. Each one of us has been wired and gifted by God. And we want the church to rise, all of us together, in our giftings, uh, in a healthy, growing, thriving, flourishing relationship with Jesus. As we follow him, share life, and love our neighbor, we want all of us rising and using the gifts that God has given us. And we want to grow as a church in our head and in our heart and in our hands, right? We don't simply want to be a, a church that accumulates knowledge and thinks we've arrived. We don't want to just be a church that feels feels and thinks that that's what arriving means. And we don't want to simply be a church that like does a lot of things and gets busy with a, a lot of things and think that's the whole picture, right? We want our head and our heart and our hands all working together in integrity with God together. And so we jumped into this series to say, 
there are some practices that have been practiced by Christians for centuries that have been come, called uh, spiritual disciplines. And some people come at spiritual disciplines pretty legalistically, and some people uh, hide away from the spiritual disciplines because they feel legalistic, and we don't want to just uh, live a life of should, right? I, well, I should be praying more, or I should go be alone more. That's a spiritual thing to do, right? And so a couple weeks ago when we started the series, I made a promise to you, and then I asked, I, I made a plea, a promise and a plea. And the promise is we will not beat you up in this series as we talk about spiritual disciplines. We're not going to use spiritual disciplines as a way to push you down or show you how inadequate you are or how much you need to grow, you silly worm, right? Not going to do that. But the plea then uh, comes back to say, please come with open ears. Please come with open hearts that God may have things that he wants to speak to you, that there may be practices that you could uh, put into your life that put you in position to be transformed by God and grow in a flourishing relationship with him. And so the first week we talked about this, the rhythms of rest and work, how God, God didn't create us to work into rest. Like he didn't create us to work, 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 and then fall over, collapse, and like, okay, I earned my rest. He created us and told us to rest, and that rest would lead us into work, that we would work out of the overflow of our rest with him. And he gives us rhythms so that we don't just work all the time, and we don't just rest all the time. We rest into the work that he has given us. Justin preached last time on gratitude and generosity, how when we recognize what God has given us throughout our life and is still giving us and will continue to give us, we overflow with gratitude and we express our gratitude to him. And then as our character becomes like God's, we grow in generosity because God is generous. We don't just should, like I should be generous, right? Because God's been so good to me, I better do some good stuff. We grow and are transformed to look more and more like God. And because God is so crazy generous, we do that naturally as we grow more like him. But today we're going to talk about solitude and fellowship. What I want to do uh, is I want to, I want to talk about the definition of each, okay? I want to talk about what solitude is and what fellowship is, and then I'm actually going to share some bad news because I think good news looks so much better in light of problems that arise or in light of conflict or in light of struggles. So I want to name some struggles and I talk about a good news that can overcome those, okay? So solitude, if you can put the definition up uh, on the screen, the definition of solitude that I find really helpful is the creation of an open, empty space in our lives by purposefully abstaining from interaction with other human beings so that freed from competing loyalties, we can be found by God. The creation of an open, empty space in our lives. Some of you guys are already checking out. You're like, I don't want to be empty. By purposefully abstaining from interaction with other human beings. Some of you are like, oh, that sounds pretty good. So that freed from competing loyalties, we can be found by God. 
That means in this quiet space, I don't have to measure up to other people's expectations. I don't have to be good enough. I can be found by God who already loves me. Right? I create a space and I meet God there. And we want to follow Jesus here at Damascus Road. So the question is, did Jesus do solitude? Absolutely. Matthew 14, 23 says, After he had dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. So you see Jesus coming back from the crowds, stepping back even from his friends, going up into the hills and spending some time alone. Mark 1.35 says, Very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Now, some translations, it's fun to flip back and forth between different translations. Some translations uh, render this word solitary as desolate or lonely or deserted. He's alone, right? However you read that. And it's not meant to be sad, I don't think, right? So the desolate place is not just death and sadness. He's intentionally going there for good. Luke 4.42 says, At daybreak he departed and went into a deserted place. Luke 5.16, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And Luke 6.12, one of those days Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. Okay, so pretty convincing. Jesus practiced solitude. Sometimes it seems like in shorter moments and sometimes in really uh, long moments, like a whole night spent alone praying. Like, uh, not just sleeping, that feels like blocking people out, right? That feels like good solitude. But like present and aware and yet alone. That's a picture of solitude. Here's a picture of fellowship. Definition that I find helpful is engaging with other disciples, that's you and me, engaging with people in the common activities of worship, study, prayer, celebration, and service, which sustain our life together and enlarge our capacity to experience more of God. Engaging with other disciples in the common activities of worship, study, prayer, celebration, and service, which sustain our life together, and enlarge our capacity to experience more of God. So fellowship, fellowship isn't just being with people, right? It's being with people with God. And uh, solitude isn't just being alone. It's being alone with God. Those are the intents of the spiritual disciplines of solitude and fellowship, that wherever we are with people or by ourselves, we are living with God. Did Jesus practice fellowship? Yep. Mark 3.14 said, He anointed twelve, appointed twelve, that they might be with Him, that He might send them out to preach, that they might be with Him. And they traveled the next three and a half years doing life together. They shared life. They shared meals. They shared uh, sleeping spaces. They, I mean, they just they went everywhere. They walked together. They studied together. They worshiped together. They served together. 
they were together uh, for those three and a half years. That can't be understated. Those closest to Jesus saw him at his highest, best times, teaching the multitudes and healing people and like everybody's happy. And they saw him at his lowest points, praying so hard that like droplets of blood are forming. They saw him at his highest and his lowest moments and they were together. He shared those with them. He didn't do that on accident. He was continually giving himself to the fellowship there, sharing his life with them. Worship, study, prayer, celebration, and service, this all marked the relationships Jesus had. And he invited them into his time with the Father. So even times when Jesus is practicing solitude, he's sometimes pulling them along to model what it looked like to practice solitude. In Mark 9, 2, it says, Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. So it feels like solitude, right? But Jesus is showing them. He's modeling them. This is what good, the best teachers do. They don't just tell you what to do. They show you what to do, right? Jesus is showing them what a life of solitude with God looks like. Luke 9.18 says, Jesus was praying alone with only the disciples near him. So he's bringing them in. And in Mark 6.31, it says, He said to them, Come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest a while. And so you get this picture of Jesus who does solitary time, right? He pulls away all by himself, but then he does fellowship. And then he's coaching and he's modeling both of these in the relationships that he's had. He's showing them how to do fellowship, and he's showing them how to do solitude. Now, here's the bad news. I think we don't do these very well, naturally. Some of us may be geared toward one over the other, but I think generally they work together, and we don't naturally do them very well. We can look at Jesus, and we can even want to be with him, and like him, and we struggle with either solitude or fellowship, or maybe, likely, both. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, some of you guys know that name. He was a follower of Christ during Nazi Germany. Huge opponent of Hitler, stood up to Hitler, and ended up uh, being killed for his faith and his opposition to the Third Reich. So he was a pastor, and he was an author, and he wrote a ton about following Jesus, living life with God together, and the cost of discipleship. Because Bonhoeffer lived it. He recognized that while following Jesus is free, it may cost me everything. It does cost me everything, and it did cost him everything in the end. And then he woke up in the very presence of God, and he said, this was not wasted. This was not a loss. I am more alive now than I've ever been. But Bonhoeffer knew the cost and the value of discipleship, of following Jesus. He wrote a book called Life Together, and it's all about sharing life as we follow Jesus together. And it's interesting. He's got one chapter called The Day with Others, and the very next chapter is called The Day Alone. You think he's getting at 
the relationship between fellowship and solitude? Absolutely. Listen to what he writes. This is some of the bad news. Now, as I read this, I want you to, uh, here's my plea. See if he's identifying you. Because I know he's, he's getting at things in me when he writes these words. He writes, Many people seek fellowship because they are afraid to be alone. Because they cannot stand loneliness, they are driven to seek the company of other people. There are Christians, too, who cannot endure being alone, who have had some bad experiences with themselves, who hope they will gain some help in association with others. They are generally disappointed then, and then they blame the fellowship for what is really their own fault. And he continues. He said, the person who comes into a fellowship because he is running from himself is misusing the fellowship for the sake of diversion. No matter how spiritual this diversion may appear, he is really not seeking community at all, but only distraction, which will allow him to forget his loneliness for a brief time. Let him who cannot be alone beware of community. But the reverse is also true, he writes. Let him who is not in community be aware of being alone. Each by itself has profound pitfalls and perils. One who wants fellowship without solitude plunges into the void of words and feelings, and one who seeks solitude without fellowship perishes in the abyss of vanity, self-infatuation, and despair. It's pretty harsh, right? Pretty strong language. It says, if you can't be alone you're going to have real problems trying to connect with others. And if you don't connect with others, you're going to have real problems in the moments when you're alone. Solitude and fellowship are given to us in tandem. We are not created to be alone always. And we are not created to be with others always. But we need both of those. To not be alone or to not be with others in our life, like separates us from a life of thriving and flourishing that God has for us. And if something's wrong in one of those, it's likely showing up in both places, in the way you relate with God by yourself and in the way you relate with others when you're with them. Do you hear what Bonhoeffer is saying? He says, some of us carry hurt or loneliness or an emptiness, and we try to fill it with people. We try to fill it with the presence of others. And at best, that just masks the problem. So we're not real with others, and then we blame others for our stuff. I've been there. I wonder if you've ever been in that position where you don't share your stuff with people, and then you get angry that they're not coming around you and supporting you. That's real. That's a struggle. Others of us aren't connected to others. We tend to hermit away, and I have that tendency. Leslie and I were driving on a country road yesterday, and I saw a house back in the woods. I was like, oh, I could live there. Just go be in solitude, right? I might not want to come out. But the problem of that is that 
it gets really, really self-focused. Bonhoeffer uses the word self-infatuated. That's narcissism. If all I want is solitude, pretty sure there's some uh, attention to me going on that's out of place. And the problem with that is even though we crave solitude and we might reject fellowship, we end up being alone. We end up being lonely. So we're by ourselves, but we're not with God. We just feel desperate. We feel lonely. There's often this combination of both happening. Because solitude as a spiritual discipline isn't just being alone, right? It's being alone with God. And fellowship as a spiritual discipline isn't just being with people. It's being with people with God. Not simply being with others. It's not simply an affinity group of people who are just like you. You know that uh, you can know somebody for years. You can know somebody even for decades and not experience true fellowship. If you stay behind your neat walls of saying, I'll give you this much of me. I'll give you the nice side of me. I'll give you the fixed up side of me. And if there's a physical need, I might like, like help you meet it. I might open that up, but I'm not going to open up those vulnerable parts. You can be connected with people for decades and miss out on true fellowship. To truly experience fellowship, you need to make yourself knowable. You need to share who you are. And to, to give fellowship, to offer fellowship, you need to become a person who's safe for others to do that. So I used to consider it a badge of honor. I don't know if I've told you this before. I used to consider it a badge of honor when people would say, you're really hard to read. I don't know you. And it wasn't just like um, people with whom I was acquainted. It was like some people that had the closest relationships to me, like my senior pastor when I was student ministry director. We worked really well together, and I remember him sitting me down on the couch and said, look, I can't read you. I'm really good at reading people. I can't read you. And it wasn't, to me, I didn't respond with, oh, let me open up. I responded with like a, <laughs> you can't get in here, can you? Never going to know what's going on. Did that demonstrate my strength and my maturity or my weakness and immaturity? Absolutely my weakness and immaturity. I've learned that to be strong is to be okay being weak. To be strong is to be okay being vulnerable. Now, to be wise with whom you're vulnerable, right? But if I live my life and I'm not vulnerable with anybody, that's on me. It's just on me. I may be carrying hurt that is real, but if I stay locked up forever, I can't blame the community when they don't know me. To enter into fellowship means you have to share this. Now, here's a confession. Alcoholics Anonymous usually does this better than the church. Right? You know this? Alcoholics Anonymous creates an environment where it's safe to be you as you are right now. Hi, my name is... I'm an alcoholic. 
I'm just going to put it right out there. Now, if you respond with, you are? What? You're in the wrong place. You're just in the wrong place. You should not be here. What in the world is going on with the church if people feel like they can't be vulnerable in the church and that, that the church would say, you are? What? This should be a place and a people with whom we can be most vulnerable and safe, knowing that we will be loved, even in our junk, even in our mess, right? That's when fellowship gets the strongest. When I can reveal the ugly parts of me, and you say, I've got you, and we do it back and forth. That gets to be fellowship. And not just on a human level, but we bring God into it. This fellowship isn't just deep relationships. Fellowship in a, in a biblical kind of mindset is this, let's do that in the presence of God, with God. We recognize He's right here with us. So there's a struggle. But there's also good news that overcomes all of that. There's good news that pushes us past that, that transforms us beyond the struggle. The good news is the work has already been done. The work to move us and to change us and to grow us into people who can enjoy solitude and enjoy fellowship has already been done. Jesus shattered the divide when it comes to being people who can be alone and yet be full. Be alone with God. When Jesus died, the curtains tore in two. It was the, the temple that separated the most holiest spots where God camped out. And then the area outside that where everybody else did life. When Jesus died, the curtain was torn from top to bottom as a way of saying the separation is obliterated. It doesn't exist anymore. You get to be with God again. You were created to be with God, and sin made a mess of that, separated you from Him. And I'm destroying it, Jesus said. I'm ripping it wide open. You get to be connected with God. Even in your loneliest moments, God is there. God is right there. He is with you, and you are not alone. He loves you. He delights in you. And you don't have to be afraid of being alone. I want you to hear the invitation today of Mark 6.31 when Jesus says, Come away with me by yourself and rest a while. Come away with me by yourself and rest a while. When you are alone, do you feel beat up? And that's not what God is doing. Jesus says, Come away by yourself and rest. The idea of rest is like you are being recharged. I want to pour into you. I want to take care of you. Psalm 23 uh, that describes a shepherd and his sheep. Like he leaves me beside still waters. Right? He lets me lie down. A sheep cannot lie down if it's not at rest, if it doesn't have peace. It'll stay busy and hyper. And that's us. We stay busy. We, still, we stay active. We can't rest. And Jesus says, I'm inviting you into it. I am not going to beat you up. 
I am not going to smash you down. We may have some work that we get to do together, right, to grow and transform, but I'm going to be right with you in this process. When you are alone, hear the invitation. Come away with me by yourself and rest. So I want to I put a challenge out there something that you could take and try this week as a spiritual discipline of solitude. I'd like you to set aside some time this week to be alone with God. That means no people are around. Okay? Some of you might be like, oh, if I could have that, I would love it. Right? Carve out some space where you could get by yourself. And don't turn on Netflix. Okay? <laughs> Invite God into that space whether it's five minutes or 20 minutes or an hour, you get to name the time allotment. You get to say, this is how much I have or this is how much I could stand. This is what I'm, I'm going to try this week. Set aside some time this week to be alone with God. Now, if you need some tools that help with that, the Bible's a great one to open up and read and say, God, what are you trying to say to me right now? What are you trying to say to me through this? Or if you have a journal... To like write out, God, I'm trying to connect with you right now. I shut everybody out. I'm trying to shut things off. God, I'm, I'm going to write a prayer so I can focus because my mind is just kind of distracted. I'm going to take a piece of paper and draw something and not just draw to like occupy my mind so I don't have to think, but God, I'm going to draw with you right now. I'm just going to doodle with you, God. We can waste time together. That's, it doesn't have to be productive. It's restful. Your awareness, try to keep your awareness that God is with you in that. One of my favorite practices, I'll just let you know, one of my favorite practices uh, when I drive Lucy and Micah to school in the morning is we'll go through the fruit of the Spirit. You say, okay, guys, which one, which one is, uh, do you want to highlight today? And Lucy will often pick joy and say, like, okay, camp out in joy today. Stay focused on joy, not as a way of like, you better produce joy. But like, okay, I think God has that for you, and he wants to grow that in you. And the rule is if they say all of them, like, good, now your focus is God with you. Okay, not that it wasn't before, but that's just, if you want to say all of the fruit, I want you to focus today on God with you. And here's my thought. They're with people all day, but I want them to know that God's right there with them. So you can be with people and feel alone, right? You can be with people and feel lonely, but you can actually have solitude in the middle of people. Does that make any sense? You can actually practice solitude with people around. So we're going to do that coming up in a few minutes. I want you to practice solitude right now. But now what I want you to do is I want you to think of a time this week where you could set aside some time to practice solitude and focus on life with God. Here's the good news around fellowship. Jesus shattered the divide. The Bible tells us when Jesus died and when he rose again, he took people who were separated and had no business being together, and he put them together again that we get to relate with one another. We get to have relationships because of what Jesus did because of what he's doing in us. People who have no business, like we don't have common interests, or we, 
we're, we run with different people, we're different, you know, like, he says, none of that matters in keeping you separated. That doesn't mean you all become the same, right? You don't, you don't all become cookie cutters or cookie cutouts. You, you stay who you are and you enter the fellowship. And Jesus opened that up for us. What has divided us in the past doesn't need to divide us anymore. Jesus triumphed over that. And then he calls us a body. He calls us one body with many different parts. We're all connected to that body. You are a vital part of this body. We need you to stay connected. You receive life by being connected in fellowship with others, with God. And people receive life from you staying connected with them and with God. You don't have to hide from God, and you don't have to hide from others. You don't have to be afraid of being with others. I want you to hear the invitation to be connected. Church, I'd like to be a little bit more like Alcoholics Anonymous. I'd like to be a little bit more like people with whom we know we're safe. And all of our stuff, you know, I can share that. I don't have to hide. The, the application, the challenge that I would have for you is be vulnerable. Open yourself to someone. Now use wisdom and use discernment. If you're in a discipleship group, that might be a good place to start. Maybe, maybe it's not in the whole discipleship group setting. Maybe it's like pulling somebody from your group aside and saying, I, I need to share some, I need to open myself up with you. Okay? You have people in your life who I bet could handle your struggles. And if you opened up to them, I think they would do a good job. You have to trust them with that. Trust is earned, and trust is also given, Right? So be vulnerable and open yourself up to somebody. And then be the kind of person who that would be safe to do with. Be the kind of person who somebody can come up and say, can I share something with you? And you're like, maybe? Don't. Be safe. Recognize God with you. And pray with others. So fellowship isn't just connecting together. Fellowship in its truest sense is connecting together with God. So how can I be open, and how can you be open, and how can we take that right into the presence of God together? And take a risk. Take a risk this week and open up to somebody with God. Richard Foster writes in his book, Celebration of Discipline, we must seek out the recreating stillness of solitude if we want to be with others meaningfully. And we must seek the fellowship and accountability of others if we want to be alone safely. We want or we must cultivate both if we're to live in obedience. If we're to live according to the way God made us, we seek out solitude and we seek out fellowship and they grow together. So the worship team is going to come up and they're going to play a song uh, in a few moments. Now, they can come up right now. The song 
The song is meant to be an invitation into solitude. We said you can practice solitude in the middle of people. In the middle of a sea of people, you can be alone with God. And so I want to invite you, instead of just getting up with this first song when you're ready for communion, I'd like you to stay put through the whole first song and use the first song as an invitation by God to be alone with Him. What does He want to say to you? What does He want you to know? What does He want to remind you of? You can use the, the lyrics of the song uh, to kind of meditate on this. Hear the invitation of God to be alone with Him. And then I want to use the second song as an invitation into fellowship. We're going to practice communion. That's gathering together in worship. And so we remind one another of the, the sacrifice and the love of Jesus and what He did for us and what He gave to us that we receive and we celebrate communion together. You don't have to talk about it with others, but you can recognize all of us this morning are worshiping God together in communion. So first song is solitude. Second is with the assembly in fellowship. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are a God who creates us to be whole, not to be full of holes, not to be uh, empty and hollow and shallow, but to be whole and deep, that you create us. And as we walk with you, we are transformed day by day. Jesus, you modeled what uh, life alone with God looked like, and you modeled what life together with God looked like. And then you sent the Spirit. You sent the Holy Spirit who empowers us to live life with you and to live life with each other. Would you call us this week into the solitary places and into fellowship so that we can truly experience life with you? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.